This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. This podcast was recorded on traditional Denizal land. Hello, hello, it's Trey, and welcome to Before the Peace in 2024. (laughs) Our first guest of the year is Vince Van Waringen. We chat about when he discovered that he was Métis, learning about his heritage, his work with Métis organizations, and more. Since moving to Fort St. John a couple years ago, Vince has delved headfirst into helping the community through different board positions. He's a part of the Fort St. John and District Chamber of Commerce, the Rotary Club, and the Northeast Métis Association. Before we check in with Vince, make sure you email us at beforethepeace at energeticcity.ca for any comments or story ideas you may have. Also, you can hit us up on Instagram at beforethepeace and beforethepeace underscore on X, formerly known as Twitter. And last but not least, before we get into the interview, let's get paid. This podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of Troyer Ventures. Troyer has been serving our community and the energy industry with tank and vac trucks since 2000. They are built on the principles of hard work, service, and community, and they are proud to offer the financial support to make this program possible. Okay, okay, I know you've been waiting. It's been about a month. Well, you're waiting every month if you're listening to the podcast that way, but we're about to get into the episode with Vince. Here he is. Thank you so much for joining me today, Vince. Uh, getting right into it, you know, growing up, were you educated about your Métis heritage at all? Uh, so I actually wasn't uh, growing up and I've kind of always felt a little lost uh, until about the age of 25. At 25, my mother and I uh, found out that we were Métis. Um, back in the day, my grandmother uh, knew she was Métis, like my my grandmother and um, she grew up through the residential era and the, the time when it wasn't good to know that you were indigenous and Métis. So, so my grandmother really buried it and didn't want to admit it. And still to this day, I love my grandmother, um, but, you know, still has a little, feels shame in it because that's how it was put in her. So at about 25, uh, when I was 25, um, we found out that we were Métis. We did some genealogy, uh, looked into it. My mom did all the work and um, really... That's when I found out, and at that point, I got a real sense of belonging when I started looking into the Métis and who I was and connecting with the community and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was, I was 25 when I found out, you know? I wish I had known a little earlier, and, and that's why we have our children learning right from an early age. Yeah, which is great, and that's I was going to ask that too, kind of, you know, learning from that, that point of you kind of learning a little bit later in life, which we'll get into, and I've mentioned it a lot on the podcast, but it's the same for me. You know, I'm kind of going through that... Uh, you know, learning my identity and my culture as well, being Métis. Um, before we, I comment specifically, I wanted to bring up um, you saying your your grandma. It seems like a common theme because my grandma just turned 80 in December. Uh, it was similar. And like over the past five years, she's actually really started to look into her genealogy, our family's genealogy, and she, you know, has her Métis card and everything along those lines. But she told me when she was brought up, her parents were the same way it was kind of they were ashamed of it so they never mentioned that they were like her her dad is indigenous and you know it wasn't talked about ever it wasn't something that they ever mentioned and so uh, i guess you know is that something you've heard a lot you know working with uh, metis societies and associations 100 percent, definitely I, i've heard it i mean not only from my family but from other members as well you know everybody that is in their 80s and and older there was a an era where you had to hide your identity and, and, you know, we're working through this truth and reconciliation and the government's taking steps to rectify, um, the past, um, you know, errors that were made. And it's sad that so many people have had to bury who they are, their traditions. And a lot has been lost. I mean, we've, there's five different Métis languages out there and um, three are gone completely and two are being um, brought back to life. And so, you know, by having that time and, and losing those, those traditions, those cultures, that language, 
I mean, it's just like our First Nations partners and, and our Inuit, right? When we're losing it, it's hard to get it back. And when our knowledge keepers are gone and, and our elders are our knowledge keepers, so many of them we're told they can't have the knowledge. And so we, I do see it with a lot of families. But as you said, uh, I do see a lot more people now at that older, older age looking into it, being more proud of it, um, and, and really working with it. So it's nice to see. Well, because you see the younger generation doing it now as well. And um, it, it is really cool to see. And like you said, from from uh, First Nations to Métis to Inuit, like they're all getting into learning their language. And then you have the elders who are now you know, they're older and they're still, you know, getting into it and like, okay, no, we need to bring back our language. So they're working with the younger generation. Like you see it as an example with First Nations and Dwight River, you know what I mean? Like where they're actually doing research into the language and trying to make sure that it stays alive or at least revive it. And it's kind of happening across the board. And it's unfortunate because it's a lot of work, right? You, it is. you had it set, you had a base years and years ago, you grew up and then it just went away yeah. and now you have, there has to be a collective effort into bringing it back and learning it and, you know, constantly speaking it and it's same with the culture, right? Yeah, no, and it's really nice to see. I mean, there is that, um, you know, revitalization, language revitalization programs that uh, the Canadian government's doing and, and helping. Um, Doig River, great example. They are doing so much. They're um, great. And, and, the you know, Gabrielle Institute, um, as well as <clears throat> MMBC has opened up an institute and they've got language classes. So, you know, using some of these funds, it's nice, again, with the Truth and Reconciliation that we're able to dive in um, to bringing it back. Um, you mentioned our youth. Our youth are, are, are the most important thing. I mean, our elders are obviously our most respected. Our youth are our future, right? Our youth are who we need to teach and get that language and traditions, everything from jigging to beadwork to um, sashes. You know, I mean, everything in, in our culture needs to be able to come up through our youth. And it's really nice to see um, our, my daughters are, are getting involved um, in Dawson Creek. They have the Young Country, which are uh, five young um younger children or, or youth that are doing jigging and dancing. Um, you know, Kamloops has got great things. So it's nice to see across the board that that our language and really just our culture and heritage is is being seen and coming back. So yeah, And seeing two generations that have, you know, such a big gap working together shows the strength and unity of First Nations, Métis, and Inuit. Like, you know, years and years and all the, the history that's gone on to now still come together and uh, no, we need to make a difference is, is just huge. And again, it's across the board. It's happening all across the world. There's so many different examples, yeah. but it is, um, you know, it's happening at home for yep. us here in the region, which is really awesome. Um, I wanted to go back commenting. So uh, when you were 25, you mentioned how you and your mom um, started looking into your guys's um, heritage and Métis heritage. And you said she did most of the work. And so I'm wondering like, at what point did you delve in? Like you completely delve in and, you know, before you, you became a part of these Métis associations, you know, when did you kind of delve into the history and your background? So my, I've always kind of been a sink or swim kind of guy. Um, and when we found out, my mother told me we were Métis, uh, we had to go back and find some long form birth certificates and scripts. And um, I get all that stuff done and, and put together in order to get our citizenship with MNBC. But when we found out a couple of weeks later, we went to our first Métis community meeting in Vernon. I was for the Vernon and District Métis Association. So we went in there and, and there was some members there in an unfortunate accident with the current president's um, father. There was, um, you know, things were happening and, and the current president had to step down. Um, for family reasons, 100%, any family comes first, always. And so when we walked into the meeting and there was the people there, everybody was kind of like, well, who's going to be president? Um, who And, you know, we need a secretary. It, it worked out that we actually walked into an election AGM. Okay. And I had just obtained my MMBC card. So um, I was yeah 25 at the time. And uh, 
So I put my hand up to become president for the Vernon <laughs> District Métis Association. Uh, and I did. And the nice thing was, and, and that was... the it was just right into the deep end. It was end. right into the deep end. <laughs> and the thing, though, that was, is the community in Vernon, you know, there were so many great people, um, Beth and, and Don and Dale and Val. And, like, there were so many great board of directors there that helped me not only in the day-to-day operations, but learn my culture. And we did jigging classes. We did archery classes. We did, yeah, beadwork. And and we got community meetings where 40, 50 people were showing up for potlucks within six months. And, and I was president for five years. Um, I was president right up until I moved up here. Um, and we moved up here. And uh, yeah, it was, it was that... Five years was like right in the deep end, but we had cultural campouts, we had traditional knowledge, we did um, harvesting, like it was phenomenal. So just raising your hand at that first meeting yep. really pushed you into the culture and learning your culture and everything along those lines, right? A hundred percent. That is so awesome. So I, so your only role was as president, I guess, Um what did that entail? What are some some jobs of yours as president of the Métis Association in Vernon? Well, what we did was um, we needed to do some grant writing. So I helped the board in obtaining grants. So we used a lot of Aboriginal grants, um, sports grants, stuff like that. So we got some funding coming through to get us an office space. Uh, we had a beautiful office space in, in the Vernon and uh, we had a boardroom so we could have our monthly meetings. So it was really, I mean, I look at any any board position and especially as a president your job is to direct and protect mm-hmm. right that's your main job everything else above that you work with your your committee but you know that was my main thing was directing and basically making sure we had funds coming in helping the board grow making sure we had elders making sure we had events you know cultural awareness we did core programs pal programs um but but that was it and yeah it was just it was so involving when you get to talk to your elders and that's where I learned about elders, right? They, they had so much knowledge and I'd ask them because it's not about dictating. Directing is about asking questions, getting responses, getting the community to tell you what they want. And so that's what it was all about. And I think that was the peak and the highlight for me was that we had 40 or 50 people coming to meetings and we would say, well, here's a grant opportunity that's coming out. What would you guys like? Well, we would like archery equipment. Great. So we'd get archery. We had lacrosse equipment. And then we could set up and just go play lacrosse on the weekends. Oh, or awesome. yeah, take a camp out. So yeah, the main job, direct and protect. And but you know, without a great board, no matter what organization you're in, it's it's it a very a hard job. hundred percent. Right? So you come in as president at twenty five, I guess, leading up to that point, you know, you've you've just realized that you're Metis and then you, you kinda go all in. Um, what expertise and skills did you have that set you up for those five years? I think uh, a big part is um, an extrovert. So I wasn't afraid to, uh, you know, get right in there and get get down and get dirty uh, and get in the mud to make sure that we need had what we needed. Uh, communication skills have always been good for me. So you know, uh, I my wife will tell you I always need to listen a little better. And uh, and <laughs> and I <laughs> speak to my wife. <laughs> and I do. Um, you know, there is better times when you just need to be quiet and listen. Um, so you know, being able to communicate well um, and represent was a big key. I'm, I'm a very, I'm representative and I don't back down. And so, you know, my, um, my wife and I at the time worked with MNBC and we went and became uh, on the Indigenous Council for School District 22. We got some grade four and grade seven Métis curriculum put into the school district on their TNOC program. Um, and it was nice. We had one of the schools working with us. Um, I also was able to get into the UBCO uh, Indigenous Council. So I sat on the council for the Indigenous students and stuff like that. So, you know, I really got into a lot of big tables mm-hmm. and was able to get, make sure the Métis were heard, right? And that our voices were heard, our youth were being seen, and that they were starting to get it. It was when the new reconciliation and all that started happening. Yeah, yeah. So it was a perfect time for me to get in because I've always been a vocal um, person who, who will stand up for the rights and, and Métis rights. I mean, just individual rights in period. But when I'm in a Métis president position, it was really about making sure the voices were heard, recognition was given, you know, also the recognition that we're not trying to take or push or, you know, be bullies or anything like that, because recognition is different than 
trying to go above and beyond and, and take credit, right? It's not what it's about. It's just recognizing that the Métis have their own distinct culture, heritage, and, and traditions. And so that's what I was really good at. And I think the listening part, I was good at listening because I learned a lot in those five years um, and sitting at tables with, I sat at tables with Okanagan Indian Band um, and, and all kinds of First Nations and listening to them and their culture and taking in what they do and how they pride it really opened my eyes. My wife is an um, Indigenous specialist. She's done Indigenous specialties and is a social worker. So she taught me a lot. I was going to say, so were you were with her at that time? Yeah, yeah. She, she was a huge help to me in regards to making sure that I acknowledge lands, making sure that I recognize other traditions of, um, you know, other first nations. And so I've always worked hand in hand Mm -hmm. with, with it. And I, and I think that's good. So yeah, no, it was good. Young, young and fun and full of uh, vinegar, right? (laughs) Well, I'm just still trying to wrap my head around you being 25% president of a Métis association. And so was there a disconnect at all with the other board members, like having you come in young? And we're seeing it more and more now where younger um, Indigenous uh, Métis individuals are, are coming up to these leadership positions. But I mean, you know, going back years ago that wasn't as common so i'm just trying to wrap my head around the environment like did you have any pushback from other members of the border at all or the community at all or was it very welcoming it was it was very welcoming i think um you know so our metis organizations they're the the metis communities are not for profits right so we have no government funding we have no um, funding coming from anywhere and the presidents and and past presidents and everybody did a great job of keeping culture and stuff like that and i think there may have been a thought of resistance at first, but uh, just like Dawson Creek, um, when I come in, I come in blazing, I go for the funds. And I think the difference is if I was to come in and talk the talk and not walk the walk, it would have been a different story. Um, but because I came in and I worked hard and I just started bringing in some funds and getting grants and it really brought the community together quickly. Um, our first meeting was maybe five, seven members. Within six months, we had about 30. And then by my end of the first year, we were having 40, 50 people show up to monthly meetings, right? Yeah. And our community events were anywhere from 30 to 50. We had summer gatherings and there'd be 50 to 60 people. But um, I don't think the age, I think a little bit was, but again, respect goes a long way. And the elders that were on the board that when I started stayed on the board because I didn't try to change things. Like you can't go in and change everything, but you can make some changes. So by going in and asking them what has happened and what they did and figuring it out and taking some of what was working and getting rid of what wasn't. So I think that created a good bond between us and, and the board. So so with the grant funding, I guess, how were you familiar with that before getting in? Or did you just learn quickly and just go with it? Learn quickly. Learn quickly and went with it. So uh, really, I mean, grants are pretty simple uh, in regards to... Right? It's, it's yeah, you gotta you just got to spend some time thinking out and planning. A big part of it is, is communicating with the community, right? Because I could easily put together a grant in an hour at home, but it may not be what the community wants. So when you have a meeting, a monthly community meeting, and you can ask them and get the feedback, like, hey, there's $10,000 for, let's say one I'm working on is a truth and reconciliation um, day for September. $10,000 can go a long ways if I could work with um, the Northern Lights College and Dawson Creek and the city and, you know, like, but what does the membership want? And also then can we collaborate with our First Nations partners and stuff like that? So so there's a lot of research into it. You yeah. get it and it takes some time to research it. Writing it, um, you know, again, I'm not the strongest writer. My wife spent 10 years uh, or eight years doing her um, social work upgrades and all that. And she's written essays. So she's my editor, <laughs> right? Uh, but no, it was, it was dive in, start with small ones and then worked my way up and got into the bigger ones. What is so over five years? It sounds like there's a lot that you and the board did, um, and it might be hard to pick one. But as soon as I mention this, the first thing that comes to your mind favorite moment experience you've had, specifically with the Vernon Metis Association. So, the Vernon Metis Association, I would say, would be our summer potluck. Uh, we had that at the park all the time, 
We had dancing, jigging. Uh, we had games, apple bobbing for apples, uh, beadwork, and lacrosse. So I think that the highlight was the first one we did, and and the board worked so hard to put it together. We communicated it well through social media and the offices, and about 50, 60 people showed up, and. That the first that was the first one for me, and that to me gave me the sense of community, mm-hmm. connectiveness, and really, I mean, Métis culture. The Métis business gets done around the dinner table. That's how we've always mm-hmm. done it. And when you can gather and you have kids smiling and playing and laughing and giggling, and the elders are sitting at a table talking with each other, and I'm barbecuing food up, um, you know, and I have that time to look around. It's a uh, just being able to look around and see that was inspiring, really. So are you a part of a local Métis society? I uh, I saw in your LinkedIn that you're with the Northeast Métis Association as a vice president, and that's based in Dawson Creek. Um, are you with any Métis associations, society, nonprofit basically in Fort St. John? Uh, so the Métis Society here, the Fort St. John Métis Society, I, um, I am a member in good standing with them, um, and... Unfortunately, we had some uh, fallout uh, with the board, and and they just we didn't see eye to eye. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just you know a little bit of um, what I felt was uh, lateral violence towards myself and my family. And I'm very matey. When I moved up here, we I really needed to focus on my job, getting my family situated. So I had to take almost six years just to build and, and get my wife's, she finished her education, my children through their schooling. So I kind of stepped away from the Métis. We still did some Métis things and paid attention and went to events, but we weren't really engaged in the community as much as I used to be. Um, so at a point where I was ready to come back and get engaged, um, you know, we, we tried to um, go to the Vernon one and they do a lot of great things. And the board, they do have a good board. I see them doing a lot of excellent things. Um, there was just something that happened. And um, unfortunately, we haven't really been able to communicate much. And, and keep eye on it and we really want to be part of community like our big thing my family my girls my daughters need to know heritage need to know culture need to have events to go to and so uh, Dawson Creek I was in Dawson just to meet Sadie Lukin and um, when I stopped in there she was such a warm welcoming lady at the office downtown and my wife uh, works for Métis Nation British, what well, doesn't work for, sorry, is kind of like a contractor for the Suicide Prevention Safe Talk for Métis Nation British Columbia. So we actually went down there to talk to Sadie about hosting one um, through the Métis organization. And um, so we did that. And Sadie was talking about the society, their association and how they could use some help. And and I said, well, you know what? Let's let's do it. Um, what do you guys want to do? And, and we started talking and, and I just felt, like she really wanted help. She was clearly um, just needed some guidance and, and the board, I met with the board and they were so welcoming again. It was almost like a, a Vernon all over again. It was, it was. And, and the sense of belonging I got from the first meeting I had with them and they were just like Vince and same thing. I came home that night. I had four grants written. Um, We've got two Northern health grants, another grant coming from an Aboriginal. Um, You know, we have a bunch of great workshops that are going to be coming up and happening and traditional workshops as well. So yeah, it's, I will still, I still try to attend anything that is in Fort St. John. Um, I just like to hold monthly meetings um, and have monthly meetings for connectiveness and get the community feedback. And I just feel Fort St. John's doing a great job, but I just need a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And Dawson Creek was able to give that to me. So That's awesome. And yeah. so just kind of unpack, you know, you said a lot there and I do want to of course. to uh, a little bit of the, the issue slash, you know, misunderstanding with MMBC. So first of all, just for residents who don't know, so there's two provincial bodies. There's MNBC, right? You bet. Uh, and then there is the BC Métis Federation, right? Yes. And those are the yeah. only two main bodies. So I guess, first of all, the Northeast Métis Association, where does that fit in? So the Northeast Métis Association, so I'll give you a, a 10,000 foot kind of governance on, on how the Métis is going so so there's Métis Nation Council, okay. uh, which consists of the Métis Nation British Columbia, Métis Nation Alberta, Métis Nation Saskatchewan, and Métis Nation Ontario. Um, so Métis Nation, uh, Métis Nation Council consists of those. And then under those, it's kind of the um, Métis Nation British Columbia. And, and that's kind of where we fit. And underneath Métis Nation Columbia, Métis Nation uh, British Columbia is formed as a governance to help 
the 40 chartered communities within British Columbia. So the associations are kind of those communities um, underneath that. Um, the province of British Columbia is broken into seven regions, mm-hmm. right? Kind of, if I look at it, it's pretty close to the hunting synapsis, okay. you know, 787B kind of thing. Uh, that's how I look at it. But um, And so those regions each have a director that kind of helps their communities. And here we have five, Charlie, uh, sorry, Kelly Lake, Dawson Creek, Fort St. John, Chetwin, and Hudson Hope are the five chartered communities by Métis Nation British Columbia. So Métis Nation British Columbia is the governing body that follows the standards in which you need to identify as a Métis citizen, which is tracing your genealogy back to the Red River Settlement, Patosh, Saskatchewan, um, uh, Manitoba, right? So, and Saskatchewan. And so if you can trace your genealogy back to the the motherland, then you're recognized as a Métis. And so MNBC represents those bodies. There's 25,000 card-holding MNBC citizens right now with, I think, about 90,000 self-identifying. And I think, uh, don't quote me, but at last meeting I was at the AGM in in Kamloops this summer, there was about six to 7,000 cards pending the process right now. So, So people are applying. So that's Métis Nation British Columbia and how that works. Uh, the British Columbia Métis Federation um, is kind of another body. And, you know, I don't diminish the work that Keith Henry is doing. I know, I've met Keith Henry. He's a, a good individual. He's got good means at heart for the Métis. Um, and they are, you know, trying to do the same thing that Métis Nation British Columbia is doing. But and I don't know a lot about them, but I, I would say that MNBC is the governing body that's sitting at the provincial and federal tables, going to those provincial federal meetings, mm-hmm. meetings in Ottawa, meetings in Victoria. Um, so there is no government to government contract or agreement yet mm-hmm. because Métis Nation, British Columbia, no Métis um, entity in British Columbia has been recognized of a gov- governance yet. So we're fighting for that to say oh, okay. we do government and then we can have that table to table conversations. So that's kind of the two, the two differences there. Um, and the associations, like I said, uh, BCMF also has um, partnership agreements with communities and stuff like that too. Okay. So, so they have some around. I'm not too sure about how they are. So but. they are younger entity i'm assuming they are just trying to build up you bet you bet because i know they just started a chapter here in fort st john within the last year so they're obviously still building yeah um so going back to the incident with uh, mnbc um from my understanding you were with mnbc in some capacity and they thought you were with a different provincial board which i believe was the federation and due to just rumors then they had you removed is that fair if you kind of want to delve into that and fill in the pieces they're like what happened yeah i mean it was it was a public it was a public forum um and this kind of delves onto the fort st john debacle mm-hmm. right um i i became the vice president for dawson creek um they love the work that i've been doing with them and their board the board is fantastic stand behind me all the way and always give me the help i need so they wanted me to go represent our community so we met with some community and again it's all about community engagement right if you don't know what your community wants then what are you doing Mm -hmm. so at every agm and mnga there is resolutions that come forth on change of legislation constitution bylaws so we go as president, vice president, and board, take that to the community, post it on Facebook, and and ask for input. So we get questions, then we meet as a board, and we go through those questions, and are we for or against resolution 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. So there was 12 of them this time. So we spent probably about two days and about a four-hour meeting as a board to go through it and have it ready. So I show up to the meeting that morning and the first thing that happens is our our, um, president, Alana Copeland, here in Fort St. John gets up and and maybe she was misinformed because I'm assuming she would be and and says that there was a conflict of interest that Mm -hmm. I was there representing another provincial governance, so to speak. And and the allegation was BC Métis Federation Mm -hmm. um, because I opened another... I was a founding member of another local organization here, which is the Peace Region Community Métis Association. Mm-hmm. 
So I did help found it because of the debacle and the push that I got from the local charter. And we wanted to create, myself and some other members, create another entity that could hold monthly meetings and did have bingo gatherings and was just going to do a little bit more for the community. And, and there was quite a few members that wanted that. So we started a new association. Um, and it's not a partner with BCMF. It's a standalone organization. That was what I said needed to happen. It's not going to be tied to any organization. This is a community organization. It needs to be held at a, a high level of community engagement and for the people. So we opened that up. But as we opened it up, um, you know, I noticed that there was some works going on. And, and Keith Henry is a great individual. He wants to help. I, I believe he truly means to help in most part. Everybody has an agenda behind the scene. And, mm -hmm. and, but I, I, I believe he is trying to help. And so he offered some help to the association. And, and that time I said, I need to step aside. Right, because I have always been Métis Nation, British Columbia. Yeah. That's where I found out I was Métis, and I was a president for five years. I went to uh, MNGAs, AGMs, met many Métis from across the province, and Métis Nation, British Columbia is um, where I stand. Mm -hmm. So no harm, no foul. I walked away. I asked to be taken off of the um, Society Act as a director. So that was where I left it back in September. And... I guess we get up into November and the it was brought to my attention by um, the vice president of the Métis Nation British Columbia that my name was still on that and that somebody had made allegations that I was a board of directors for a competitor, an opponent, and, and sorry, another organization. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I said, no, I'm not. I haven't been. I resigned. I had my name taken off. He said, well, it wasn't. And I was like, so I sent an email November 11th and said, hey, I need to be removed from this immediately. So I assume that they did. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, and we get to the MNGA on December 1st, I believe it was. And I get on the call and um, President Copeland mentions that uh, there is a conflict of interest. And when a conflict of interest is brought up, it is up to the MNGA. And the MNGA consists of the presidents, vice presidents, of the communities. Mm -hmm. So that is the voice of your community. And anything that's put forth to the MNGA needs to be taken care of by the MNGA, right? It's, yeah. it's how it goes. So it was brought up a, a conflict of interest and then it was seconded by um, uh, Region 7 Director Paula Flamen that I was in um, a conflict of interest under, I believe it's Section 8 of the MNGA Act. And, you know, so they went through it. They read out the act. Um, then I was able to provide my proof and I, and I provided the proof. I provided my letter of resignation. I provided the text messages that I had sent over to um, Vice President um, Minot. And, you know, at that time, I really did feel attacked. I got attacked by many of our current board of directors um, and people. And, and I'll, I'll just say it's a personal opinion, I feel, because I announced my, my running for Region 7 director. Mm. Um, but the comments that were made, there was no proof. Mm. Nobody provided proof of these allegations that I was with BCMF. All it was was just hearsay and people talking about it. And I provided proof that I resigned. And according to Mr. John Beaker, the CEO, uh, Chief, CGO, Chief Governance Officer of Métis Nation British Columbia on that, mess, on that call, that when somebody gives a resignation, it takes effect immediately. Yeah. It's as soon as you resign, you're done, whether your name's on it or not. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is my name was still on the society. It was there and it was brought forth to the MNGA. There was conversation back and forth and the presidents um, and all of the delegates at that time uh, felt that I was um, in a conflict of interest. So, so I got voted out and it was okay because the presidents did their job. Yep. The MNGA is there to do their job. Yep. I hold no grudges, no grievances, because yeah, you know what? You don't. Yeah, right. I mean, like you wouldn't run for the region. No, right? no. If, if that was the case. Yeah, and and I was hurt though. I was hurt because my uh, publicly on. So the the problem was it was a conflict of interest because I could take the information from this meeting back to another governing body, but this meeting was live, so. Anything happening on this meeting was going to be public knowledge anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it, to me, it felt like it, 
it was kind of like unnecessary. Uh, so, so what happened? And what happened then is there was a motion and um, a resolution put forward basically for me that I needed to prove that I was not. So within days, and, and this is why BCMF and Keith Henry, I believe, has the best interest at heart. He's a good man. I've met him a couple of times. Um, but he wrote a letter publicly stating that I have never been a part of BCMF, a member of BCMF, or a director on any community for BCMF. And he launched that publicly, mm-hmm. um, which was a nice thing to do, I think, um, because he saw, he called me that day and said, Vince, I just watched live what happened to you and I feel bad. So, you know, hearing that from from people, and I had probably about 100 people from across British Columbia, I don't know, reach out to me on Facebook. And so when it was, while it was happening and while I was felt like I was being attacked. I had people messaging me on Facebook and I think that lifted me up higher. I was say, yeah, just you made you realize like when you, you felt like you said, like you've been you know, attacked in that moment, but when you have people coming out to you saying like, oh, that doesn't seem right. Yeah. Are you okay? Like that yeah. must have helped you for sure kind of get through that. It did. And and what it did is it actually made me more determined to um, get it. And, and within days, I had a letter from the Peace River Métis Community Association here in town stating that I was removed from with a picture or uh, a document with my name off of the board of directors. Um, I had a letter from them as well stating that I did resign September and that it was their error that they didn't take me off. I had the letter from Keith Henry. Um, So I sent that all to Métis Nation British Columbia, I think probably December 11th. So like a week after. Um, And... Uh, governance uh, officer uh, John Beaker was great. You know, I sent it to him, the board of directors, the current president, vice president, and CEO of Métis Nation British Columbia, and said, "Here's the proof." And they um, reinstated me to the MNGA. Awesome. Yeah, so that's all been taken care of. But you know, it was public. It was publicly humiliating, so to speak, in a way. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it really kind of lit a fire, going, you know, if this is how how things are happening, then then maybe I still can make a big change and getting things that way, right? So Well it just seemed like one giant big misunderstanding and you weren't entirely being hurt. Yep. But luckily, you know, you you did put the work in and then you, you got that like a week later, like you said, and you got reinstated. You bet. So my question is like I, I get it. I, I get that there has to be some competition, but for the greater good of, of Metis individuals can't the federation and MNBC work together? Or is that just me being too flowers and, you know, like, oh, let's all be nice to each other? Well, I think, I think you can. Okay, so, so I look at it like, um, conservative NDP, Green mm-hmm. parties, stuff like that, right? Okay. Like, like, yeah. can you really get them working together? Mm-hmm. Because they do have different beliefs and, and ways that they want things to go. Now, can they work together to form a good governance, perhaps, right? Because again, if you don't have somebody um, calling you out on things here and there, then is it really a governance, yeah, exactly. right? So well, so to speak. Because I was just going to say with you, like you can tell that you are, are loyal to MNBC. You, you want to be there. You want to spark change. But obviously you understand what BC Métis Federation is doing. It's not like you want to be a part of them or, or yeah. jump ship, but you see what they're doing. You see what their president, that's their president you were talking yeah. about, yeah. right? What, what he's been doing and, and who he is and, you know, kind of having your back, even though you are with MNBC, like it seems like that type of um, relationship could be there, like you're saying, to, to form that governance and go back and forth. I think you have to have respect for anybody in the world, right? You, you have to have respect for anybody that has different beliefs or does things differently. Now, you know, on a governance side of things, how that looks, like there is there is some things that are happening and, you know, that BCMF is doing that may upset some First Nations that puts a bad stain. And, and you know, I'm sure there's some things that MNBC has done that has upset some First Nations and partners as well. Um, so, you know what, everybody makes mistakes, but it's coming out of the mistakes and trying to stay ahead and, and keep, you know, not put stains on anything, just keep everything as it is. And if we make mistakes, we make, we correct them, we move forward, but we have to focus on the main goal. And the goal for all of us is that we want our nation to rise. We want our people to be successful. We want our youth to grow up knowing who they are. They will know their culture, their heritage and their traditions. Um, and that's all, all we really ask for. Right. And so, um, with you running for regional director, the, that is happening. You're like campaigning. I'm imagining throughout the year. It's November. 
Yeah, I think I announced um, in October that I was running um, with a team. And so it hasn't really been campaigning, more so just getting the name out there and talking to people and seeing uh, the election. So I will be going down to the MNGA in... um, uh, in I think it's in Abbotsford, sorry. So that's going to be March 1st to the 3rd. So I'll be down at the MNGA Live. And so at that point, Métis Nation British Columbia normally um, would announce the election date and then the campaign start date, right? So the campaign, the, the election is usually in September. Um, we have to pick the CEO, so the the company or people that will run the election and so normally the mnga in march they announce the date and they provide the short list of people that have asked to be it and then again the mnga the presidents um, and the representatives of their communities will choose who they want to work and, and do the work right it's kind of like getting all the mps together out in ottawa and that's kind of like, yeah. you know i mean i can't compare it to ottawa we're not running a country yeah. <laughs> but i mean that's how i look at it and, and that's how how important the work is to do for our our people and representation here in bc now, um, talking about uh, Métis culture, um, you know, like I mentioned before, I'm Métis myself, but I barely scratched the surface with like learning my identity and, and culture. Um, in your eyes, what are the positives to uh, growing up with culture in your life? Because you were saying you didn't, you didn't really learn until you were 25, but now your kids are learning more about the culture. Like you're instilling that in them because you didn't have that. So in your opinion, for your children, you know, what's going to be that importance that you think will happen in the future or you're seeing now to them learning their culture so young? Yeah, I think, you know, the sense of belonging is a, is a thing. And whether, I mean, whether you believe, whether some believe or not, I think knowing where you come from and understanding your background is a big part of how you grow up. And uh, like I said at the beginning, I felt a little lost and I didn't really know that I was lost until I found out what I had been missing. Um, And it really kind of went, okay, well, this makes a little more sense of where I was and how I came to be. So what I'm seeing with our children is that, you know, they're really enjoying it. Like to be able to drive to to Dawson Creek and she can jig with the other youth that are there. she smiles, she laughs, you know, right? She's always asking me, Dad, did you bring my sash, right? She doesn't quite understand the importance of the sash, uh, my, my seven-year-old yet, but she knows that it's her culture and that she needs to wear it when she goes to community events and she's proud to wear it, right? And seeing pride is something that we didn't see in the generations above us because it was so frowned upon and shamed upon to some of our elders, not all, Um so seeing um, her do that is great, you know, and, and Abby is also the same, you know, she enjoys going out to the events and um, being part of community, but it's really just getting together and it's like a big family. When, when you end up getting 30, 40, you know, the Christmas party we had in December, I think it was about 45 people there, all the, there was 25 kids and just watching our youth play and enjoy and listen to the Métis fiddle and jig and dance and play some Métis games, it was really nice to see. And I, they will never know, you know, at what we feel when they're our age. Well, they will if they have children. But, yeah. uh, you know, it, it's nice to see. So I think instilling it is a big part of, of my my children's life and making sure that they just know. And again, a, a part of it, too, is teaching the respect of our, our First Nations as well. Right. We are on the traditional lands of the Danaiza and, and the Beaver people. And, you know, we we need to recognize that not only is there Métis heritage and traditions, but I love learning about other traditions and cultures and heritage, too, because Métis is half Cree. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And and so we're a mix of the French and the Cree and, and being able to see the true Cree or the Beaver people or, you know, um, um, the Drift Pile Cree nation like it's amazing. It's great to learn. And so be, having that instilling that I think is also a big part for um, truth and reconciliation, mm-hmm. right? Well, even, even here in the region, right? Um, you know, so many First Nation communities, surrounding communities are putting in a lot of work and and partnering with, with the, the cities. And, you know, it's just cool to see that that work, you know, may, not on the same level, but it's still at a level where the Métis people here in the region are putting in that work as well. It's just cool to see that it's kind of the rise is parallel. Yeah. And um, going with that, you know, it's no secret over the past 10 years, 
the addition of more um, indigenous teachings into the curriculum, more people just on their spare time, more literature coming out about it. Like uh, now my bookcase is just full with so many books on, you know, indigenous people in general and, and just books from the region as well. My question is, um, in Canada, how do you feel about uh, the history being talked about in schools or just in general for Métis people in comparison to, you know, that big, you know, talk about that truth and reconciliation and and um, the curriculum for Indigenous kind of going to the, into the school districts? Do you think there's enough f- for the Métis history? I think um, so. There's some big... Um big steps that have been taken down in Victoria recently and the lower mainland, um, a lot of education being put in and MLUs and LOUs being signed between districts. And, you know, again, it's the grassroots. It's these not-for-profit organizations like the Dawson Creek, uh, or sorry, the Northeast Métis Association, Chetwin, Fort St. John. I mean, it's up to them to engage with communities um, and ask the local municipalities to get that education in there. So I look forward to doing that. And, and I, I, there is some, but Métis Nation British Columbia, as I mentioned before, Colleen Hodgins, um, she's now the Minister of um, Citizenship. Her and I worked back way back and the Métis Nation made that grade four, grade seven curriculum. I have copies. I've got it in my email. I've, I've got copies of printed off at home. Um, and it's nice because we have that. Currently, Métis Nation British Columbia, I've been told, is is working on... a. a making it fit the curriculum more because there's been some curricular changes since okay. 12 years yeah, ago, yeah, right? Enough, yeah. So so they're revamping that. Right. So I, I see that the local governance, like municipalities and school districts are very open to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it just needs to be presented to them and it needs to be... And the work appropriate, yeah, yeah, and the work and the work needs to go into it. Yeah. So I think we're getting there and, and the, the, the Métis are coming a long way in regards to getting recognition and awareness. And, and that's kind of the big thing is just raising awareness, right? Because there's a lot of Métis, I mean, and you got to be careful what you say because there is Métis colonies through the fur trade if we trace back, you know, into the early 18, late 1800s and stuff like that. Um, and, and I've found since I moved from the Okanagan up here, there is so many more Métis people, right? Um, it's, so many people it's, that I talk to are, yeah. And, uh, but it's cool too that you, I talk to those individuals and you see, you know, they're interested in the work that's going on, whether it be MB, MNBC or the Federation or whatever the case yeah. may be, that they're kind of delved into that as well. 100%. Um, so you kind of commented regionally. What about nationally for for the um, progress of, of Métis history going into the curriculum? Have you seen it in other places where you're like, oh, we should have that kind of across the board? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Manitoba doing a great job. Um, the Métis um, Federation, Manitoba Métis Federation is doing a great job. Um, Chartran, uh, sorry, I, I may have had the name wrong, <laughs> but uh, they've been doing a great job. I believe it's Chartran. Uh, he's been doing a fantastic job, and their federation out there is doing a great job because that's that's the motherland, right? That's mm-hmm. the homeland. Um, you know, we do run into some, like the there's that bill going through right now that's trying to recognize the governance for Métis Nation Alberta. Saskatchewan and Ontario uh, that's before the parliament right now and that's trying to get government to government communications and sitting at the table so I think if something like that is to go through that'll definitely strengthen it in those provinces um you know where we are in BC that's a, getting a little political and uh, and and really not up to me to to talk about because that's a Métis Nation British Columbia um thing that they they're doing so I do see it going across now as we get into the eastern provinces because of what the definition of Métis is um you know there's a lot of controversy in the are you Métis past well, some say Ontario or, or further, right? So how do you, it's, I mean, according to the, the, the terms, you need to trace to the Red River. You need to be, you know, you have to have some genealogy back to the Red River settlement. So, so kind of going into that, let's kind of, you know, now put, go over to the process yep. of getting your, um, well, what would the word by your card, your Métis card, citizenship, your citizenship. Yep. Yeah. That's a perfect yep. way to say. It. So in terms of getting your citizenship, What's the work that needs to go into it? So you need to do the research, the genealogy to find out 
um, basically where your your roots trace back to. So it has to be the Red River. Just kind of delve more into that and what needs to happen there. Yeah, so basically you are, you know, your genealogy, whether it's um, long form, I mean, we need long form birth certificates, scripts, um, titles, stuff like that. And, and it needs to trace back to the Red River settlements prior to 19... 19- Oh, two, I believe. So basically, if you've got that genealogy going back to there, then you're able to obtain your Métis citizenship. Mm-hmm. Um, Alberta, BC, you know, whatever province, kind of, well, up until Ontario. So that's kind of the process. And, and when you get your genealogy, you know, you got your nice little genealogy map, you write it all out. It could be one side of the family because sometimes we don't know the whole other side. Yeah. And so by getting your genealogy, then it's simply Métis Nation British Columbia has actually just opened up a a web hub. So a citizenship hub where you can go online and do it online now. So catching up, catching up with the times on digitization, right? Um, So you can go online, submit your paperwork, fill out the forms. It it doesn't take long to actually fill out the process to get it done. The genealogy is the hard part, part right? It's the part. I have, uh, I have members in Dawson Creek who their genealogy is in Alberta and they're having a hard time getting those long form birth certificates and they've been working on it for like a year. Oh, wow. So it does take some time. Once that process is done and you've submitted your citizenship forms into Métis Nation British Columbia, um, at the last AGM down in Kamloops, they did pass a resolution to go from one approver of memberships to three because there was such a backlog. So, you know, I think they're saying it's about right now about a year wait to get like the approval process and everything done. But I anticipate they'll speed up now that they have three people being able to approve and go through the genealogies and verify, right? And so with the genealogy, we were, you mentioned it to me before the podcast. So if, say, like my grandma has done genealogy, I can take that and use that. Right? Yeah. yeah. And if like you're there gra- might need to be some more work into it, but I can pretty much use that as a base instead of starting blank <laughs> why would you start blank exactly. Yeah, exactly um you know one good thing too is if if um and for anybody that that is listening if and if anybody has a metis um a metis nation british columbia card in your family you can they can probably request if they don't have their genealogy any longer they can probably request it from metis nation british columbia and they can send that map back to them and you can start there because your family mm-hmm. right so yeah you'll need to you know maybe if it's your grandmother you'll need to find your mother yours you know, those the, or your mother's genealogy and, and birth certificate in long form and then build that tree and then add your children in there. But you don't need to, if, if they already have it, take it and use it for sure. Yeah. No, yeah. no uh, work, uh, work smarter. Not That's right. I almost said the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, now as we wind down, I've had a, a great chat with you, you know, on the podcast, Vince. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, I just want a little bit of a background with you. I know we talked about the Métis stuff, but specifically here in Fort St. John and some of the work you've done. Um, first of all, Why'd you move to the Peace Street? Why'd you move to Fort St. John? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I, I, when I first moved here, I went to open a bank account and I was like, yeah, your address has Kelowna on or Vernon on it. And I was like, yeah, they're like, why'd you move here? <laughs> <laughs> so I actually moved up. So I'm a Red Seal chef um, and I was a chef at the Hotel Eldorado down in Kelowna. Fantastic venue, great food, um, excellent team. But we had Olivia, my seven-year-old, and at the time she was just a newborn and I was ending up working, you know, 12 hours a day. And then I was commuting an hour each way. So I was gone 14 hours a day and it, it just wasn't working. No. So, so we moved up here to try something different. Um, also, my wife uh, started her social work degree at UBCO. And in her third year, they dropped the program. So we needed to look at moving to Prince George, Victoria. So she- yeah, so she could finish it. And she'd already put about six years into oh, wow. upgrades and her first two years of, of work. So uh, we looked and it was like, you know, we didn't really want to move to Prince George. And I'm not an island fan. I don't know. It's just this always this blooming thought of a big tsunami. Like, I, I don't know. Um, my grandma lives over there. and But the so then we found out that we can actually do the satellite program up here in uh, through the Northern Lights College because okay. they got a U, U, UMBC campus there. Yeah. Uh, her family, Jolene's family lives in Dawson Creek. So her sister, her brother, her mother, so my nieces and nephews. Yep. So, so it was kind of why we moved up, um, you know, kind of found a better life, work life balance for sure. Did find a better work life balance, um, now. And, um, 
yeah, I mean, it's great. The first year here, we got three feet of snow. My first snowfall, I had a, I think I had a Chrysler 200, which was about three inches off the ground. And yeah, I bought a truck within the first month of that snowfall. Yeah. Yeah, we've had uh, reporters like this past year, there's a couple of reporters that have come to work for us and uh, that had never seen snow before. Like, <laughs> most of them are from like, Victoria or yeah. the mainland. And so they come up here and they're like, oh, it's so cold. And I was like, this is the warmest winter since I've been here. 100%. Like, you guys have not seen anything yet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We had a week of minus 40. That was it. Like, it's been getting warmer and warmer. I mean, it's what, six degrees outside yeah. right now? It's oh, yeah. And I was it's, just in a like light sweater today. I'm yeah. like, Whoa. I was walking around in a t-shirt in Grand Prairie yesterday. Like my wife's like, aren't you cold? I'm like, this is like summer. Yeah. We had one of the reporters didn't even have a block heater. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, oh was, yeah. Horrible for him when he came and there was that, you know, minus 40. We had that big stretch there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Man, he was, his, he was mad. At his he was mad. For sure. No, I find with Fort St. John, I mean, we're glad we moved here. The community has been great. Um, you know, one thing I've noticed about the community is when something happens, it comes together mm-hmm. like, like for anything, the hospital gala, I mean, galas for, sure but i had a flood in the first house we had um it started over seeping over into my basement and and we caught it right at the beginning my wife was like oh, Vince, i think the toilet's leaking and then i look under the house and it's just pouring water and i put on facebook real quick like does anybody have a pump and and i was new in town still didn't really know many people and i drove to canadian tire to go get a pump and before you knew it i had like people from technation macro like just hey i got a pump truck i'll be right there like you know and and that was when i was like wow this seems like a good community and it really is yeah it really is a good community like i've been here now going on four years and um, I just, you know, working in the news, I see it all the time. Like yeah. you truly, you truly see the good, the good and you know, you see the bad too, but I've, you know, you know, a lot of people like to comment about, uh, social media groups, right? Like just in any, it doesn't matter the town or city yeah. and some of the things that are said in local groups, but nine times out of 10, you know, it doesn't matter. You might not like someone and their opinions and what they say on those groups or whatever they're doing, but I've seen so many of them where you're like, ugh. Why is this person saying this? But that same person, it doesn't matter, will end up looking to help someone. Like, yep. th- that's huge yep. to me. 100%. Right? Where it's just, it doesn't matter the person's stance, whether it be politically or whatever the case may be, their opinions, they'll just help someone. Rise to the occasion. Exactly. 100%. Exactly. 100%. And uh, I, I just, yeah, I think it's absolutely awesome. Like, I'm born and raised in Edmonton, but I've been working in small towns for the past 10 years now. Like, previous to uh fort st john i was in lloyd minster which is very comparable yeah um and it was the same there same exact thing you know the, the community definitely comes together and i was that part of the reason why you got into the community so fast you've been a part of rotary uh part of the chamber of commerce um bigger positions and i'm like i believe you were the president for the chamber for how long uh no not president for oh, the sorry. chamber uh i was president for rotary, rotary yes, yeah right. so rotary was kind of a three-year term you come in as elected president then you're president then you're past president um so i started the rotary i think the first year i moved here um and then you know rotary when i started with nelson stowe over at ideal office solutions is my day job um you know he was like vince Getting the community is a good idea and Rotary is something I've enjoyed. So when I started with Rotary, their initiatives um, and the sense of community was something that connected. Now, I'll be honest, obviously there was a need to build my reputation and build my person here because I'm in sales. Um, But... It was more about uh, once I started joining Rotary and we were doing the drive through breakfast and rib fest and we were doing the Mother's Day run. And again, seeing so many volunteers because it's a volunteer, right? Yeah. So many volunteers giving to the community and raising $30,000 to give back to organizations and not for profits. It, it was great. So when I asked, when nominated for president, I, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll try it out. Right. Um, so, so I did that. The chamber has been amazing. Uh, the board of directors last year's board of directors was great. Kathleen, we lost her. Um, I cannot believe it. She oh my God. She's been awesome. She's she was a, she was a driving force. Mm-hmm. Um, she has her reasons and you know, she's got a great job in, in Dawson Creek, a little closer to home for her. And you know, and, and I learned a lot from her in regards to that. So, uh, I stepped up into this will be my second year on the board for chamber and representing our local businesses is huge to me because you know I mean everybody will say it and you talk to Dan Davies right we're we're forgotten up here mm-hmm. 
right? We're forgotten. So having the uh, capabilities of making sure that our communities, our businesses, our small businesses and large are all heard needs to be done. And so it's it's an honor to be able to do that as well. And so I've stepped in as vice chair. So next year I'll be vice first chair. chair and then the year after that. So in two years from now, I'll sit in as president for the chamber. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And so um, you said you've been there for two years. So Rotary, you've been here since you, the first year. So how long have you been with Rotary? How long have you been in Fort St. John now? Uh, Fort St. John, I always want to say eight years, but my wife will tell me it's seven. I feel like it's been a longer, but uh, you know, it's been, well, my daughter will be eight this year in April. So that's, she, my wife is always right. Don't, <laughs> don't tell her I said that, but um, she, it is seven years. We've been here for seven years. Yeah. My last question for you, Vince, um, what makes you keep looking to give back to the community? Like, I, I know you mentioned, um, you know, being a part of Rotary and, you know, being in a sales position obviously helps like for, for as a journalist and even in, in radio, like that's what we're told too, right? Yeah. To, to be a to part network. of the community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And network. Yeah. It's definitely huge, but you know, to, to be a part of events that rotary is doing from you know cleaning the skate park to other initiatives you guys are also helping out with that too 100 so uh, yeah my, my question is you know why do you look to keep getting helping uh, give a, a helping hand like you have a day job you have a nine to five and you're on all these boards and doing all these other things and helping out whoever you can what makes you what drives you to keep doing that i think uh, I'll, I'll be honest i think since i found out i was metis um, I've really had a sense of wanting to contribute um, and that really instilled a sense of community. And one thing I learned from being Métis is that, you know, community is key. And whether it's our Métis community and our Métis gatherings and our Métis connections or our community in general, um, I think, you know, for the most part, everybody wants to be good right? Everybody wants to help. Everybody wants to give back. And and that's kind of what drives me is I I see everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be positive. They just have some things happen. Bad things happen to good people and people get in positions or organizations need help. And if I can give any help at all, then why wouldn't I? Because I'm sure... 5, 10, 15 years from now, maybe I'll start to slow down, right? But while I got the energy, I have a solid support system. My wife is so supportive. My children are super supportive. Like, you know, I think it'd be different if I didn't have them. I may not be able to handle as much um, because they take a lot off. Oh, well, and I got to meet, you know, I meet every, you know, lunches, I've got meetings almost every day. And then in the evenings, I'm having evening meetings and, you know, Métis Nation, British Columbia being on this, you know, our presidents, the 30 or 40 presidents have a chat and we meet all the time and talk. And, you know, I'm vice president, my president and I will talk and we'll get on these meetings. But, you know, we're always wanting to build for the nation. And if there's any way, I I really want to know. Again, it comes back to, you know, we talk to my community, but I want to know what the region wants, right? What does, because the reason I'm running for Region 7 Director is because I think I can do a lot of good. I think I could not only just help one community, but I can help all five, Yeah. right? And that that is what I think I can do. And so I, I think it's just the drive, just the want, the need to help. Um, and the want to see the culture of, of not only the Métis, but the culture of Rotary, like the four-way test, right? Is it yeah. the truth? Will it benefit all concerned? Like it's, it's instilling good principles into people. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can show, if, if I can show people that people are good, that'll make more good people. You know what I mean? And help, so. And like with volunteer positions, so like every month for the past three years, uh, Energetic City, we've done this story called Co-op Community Champion. It's sponsored, but it looks at who is doing good in the community and, you know, other residents can nominate. And, you know, I'm the one who's been writing it for the past three years and most of it's off of multiple people who volunteer. But you have to think, three years, every month I've done that story, like that is you know, near, I'm not great at math, but it's at least over 30 <laughs> 36, people, you bet, yeah. You know, 30 different people, yeah. right? And there's so many more out there. Yeah. And the biggest thing I hear all the time is, well, someone has to do it. Somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. And why not have, you know, people that are super passionate? And it's not for everyone, but yeah. there are people yeah. that are super passionate about it. It was instilled in them at a young age or they just went through a moment or something in their life where they realized that that's what they want to do. Yeah. So it's great that there are those opportunities and there are people like yourself who are, you know, 
taking on so many different things, but I definitely think more people need to come out so there's not like one person taking 100%. And I think that all comes down to leadership though, right? Because leadership in groups um, determines, and like I go back to the direct and protect, right? If you can direct and protect a good way, you'll get people involved. And if Mm -hmm. you get people involved, then people are going to volunteer and you take the workload of everything on five people to the workload of everything on 20 or 30 people. Um, And that's, that, that is what I want to do is, is I'm good at directing and protecting and I'm good at helping and guiding. So if we can do that and build some um, communities and build organizations then then so be it and and like you said it's not for everybody but uh, on one point and being on a board and doing events may not be for everybody but that person that won't sit on a board will show up when needed mm-hmm. right and that's what i notice up here is even the guys that are like oh no no i can't i can't volunteer my time but if you were to call them up or if there was a they post on facebook there. they'll be there yeah, right 100%. so yeah no, no. Sure. Well, thank you uh, so much for chatting with me today, Vince. I very much enjoyed having you on the podcast. Learned a lot about, uh, you know, Métis culture and also a lot about uh, the in and outs of boards. Yeah. (laughs) You definitely know what you're talking about in that regard. So uh, thank you so much. Not a problem. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the first Before the Peace episode of 2024 with Vince Van Waringen. Make sure you hit me up with any guests or program ideas that you might have at beforethepeace at energeticcity.ca. You can also hit us up at beforethepeace on Instagram and beforethepeace underscore on X, formerly known as Twitter. Thanks for listening to this energeticcity.ca podcast. Energeticcity.ca is your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To help keep us independent and to support this podcast, go to energeticcity.ca slash join.